Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Dr. Creasy is currently traveling with his Logos students in Israel, and for the next several episodes, we will be hearing live, on-site teachings from the trip. We're also happy to announce the launch of the latest course in the Logos online classroom. Dr. Creasy teaches Deuteronomy. Podcast listeners will get 20% off by using the coupon code SCRIPTUREUNCOVERED at checkout. Just go to LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Online Classroom. Now, here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy, teaching from the Holy Land. So we're at the Church of the Annunciation. It is the largest church in the Middle East. Uh, It was built, as you can tell, relatively recently. But at the time of Jesus, Nazareth was a a tiny little village uh, on on a finger ridge in the Jezreel Valley with maybe 20 extended families, a couple hundred people at most. And what do you need to have a village, a town, or a city? The one critical thing you need. Water. Water, right? And when we were driving up here into Nazareth, Isaac pointed out Mary's well. That's the natural spring. That's the water for Nazareth. There's a Greek Orthodox church built over it now, but that's the place where the water spring is. So if you put a compass down on that well and open the other leg up to about 500 yards and swing the compass around, Mary's house was somewhere within that circle. Right, because you have to be able to walk to the, wa- uh, to the well to get water in the evening. And that's what all the, all the women would do. Uh, after dinner was over, uh, they'd all go down and congregate at the well and they'd get the water needed for morning. Uh, the kids would go with them, they'd all play down there. And it was a big place for socializing. Uh, all the women would talk about the events of the day and the gossips and the rumor and the kids would play and they'd have a great time. And then they'd come back and they'd have water for morning when everyone got up and got ready to go to work. So think of Nazareth, a tiny little village really out in the boondocks, way away from any, any big cities. Jerusalem's, gosh, almost 100 miles from here. And Joseph is from Bethlehem, right? They had to go to Bethlehem because that was his town. So what was Joseph doing up here in Nazareth? What was Mary doing up here in Nazareth? She very, very well may have lived here to begin with, but why come up here if Joseph is, what did he do as, for a living? Carpenter. Really a construction worker, not, not working so much in wood, but working in the construction trades. We drove through Cana, and here we're in Nazareth, and in between in the valley, uh, there is Sephoris, which was a, a town that was being rebuilt by the Romans, and it was a very, very wealthy town. It would come to be a very wealthy town. And that was going on right at the time Jesus was a young man. There was a lot of work for construction workers in Sephoris. And I can't prove it, but I would bet anything that's why Joseph was here rather than in Bethlehem. Uh, And if that were the case, all the people at work uh, on the construction of Sephoris would all know each other. They'd have picnics together. uh, And remember, Mary and Jesus were invited to a wedding at Cana. Right? Why? I'll bet people in Cana worked there too, and they all knew each other. You know, Joseph and he was on the softball team, the company softball team, you know, and they all played together. So I, I think that might be it. Now we don't know. Inside, uh, you saw the house of Mary, the traditional house of Mary. It is a house for sure. 
It may be Mary's house, uh, certainly within that 500-yard arc around the well. Uh, there's another possibility over at the Nazareth house, just right across the street. They're doing archaeology under the convent, and they've discovered a, a neighborhood under there as well. So it was all around in this area. If that wasn't Mary's house, certainly she knew people who lived there and had tea with them at one point. But uh, here we are in this little town of, uh, of, of Nazareth. Now something really big happens here. And I'd like to turn over to the Gospel according to Luke, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now we've talked about Herod already. He built Masada and Macarius, and we'll see a lot of things he built in Jerusalem. He became king in 34 BC and he died in 4 BC. So at the time of King Herod, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now that tells us something too, because over in 1 Chronicles 24, David didn't build the temple, he did everything except put one stone on another. He designed it, he organized all the workers for it. He divided the priesthood into 24 divisions to serve at the temple. Someone asked me a little bit earlier, well, where did the Levites live prior to the temple being built? In the Hebrew scriptures, in, I believe it's Numbers, they're assigned 48 cities throughout the land where they're to live and minister to the people. They're Levitical cities. So they lived all around, so they were available to the people. The tabernacle traveled around, right? It was a movable feast, if you will. And, uh, but when David was going to build the temple, you need a whole lot of priests to serve at the temple. So he organized the priesthood into 24 divisions, and, the div and by, with 1,000 priests in each division. And the uh, 1,000 priests in each division, and Abijah, the division of Abijah, was the eighth of 24. So in Jesus' day, the priests would serve at the temple for a period of time. Think of it as military reserve duty. If you have 24 divisions of priests, you have 24 divisions of priests, and you have 12 months out of the year, how many how much time would a priest serve at the tabernacle if he lived somewhere else? Six two, weeks. two weeks. Two weeks, right? 20, uh, 12 months? Two weeks. So he'd have two-week reserve duty. And Zechariah, in fact, Elizabeth and Zechariah live outside of Jerusalem, village outside of Jerusalem. But that tells you something. Back in David's day, a thousand priests per, divi per division. Well, Jesus is a thousand years after. So how many priests were in a division? Oh, I don't know, but a whole lot more than a thousand. So you had a lot of people, a couple of thousand, two, three, four, five thousand priests in that division who would serve at the temple for two weeks. And they would perform the duties. Now, what is the one duty that you would want to perform as a priest, a Levitical priest? You would want to enter the temple and burn incense on the altar because the incense speaks of the prayers of the people and a priest by definition stands between the people and God and speaks to God on behalf of the people. A prophet stands in the same place but faces the other way. He speaks to the people on behalf of God. 
but the priest will speak to God on behalf of the people and he'll offer his people's prayers to God on the altar of incense inside. And the only person who could go inside was a priest and only when he was supposed to be there. And we read in our story that both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, so for a two-week period, once a year he was on duty, he was serving as a priest and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So all these priests from the division of Abijah, how many thousand, drew lots for the various jobs that had to be done, including cleaning the floors and the vestments and all the rest. But he finally got to do that. How many times in his life had he, had he burned incense at the temple? Probably never. It's probably the first and only time. Now, imagine if in the Roman Catholic Church, a priest could only say Mass at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome on the main altar under Bernini's Baldachin. That was the only time. Otherwise, you could pastor to the people, you could spiritually advise them and all the rest. But the thing a priest is born to do is what? Celebrate, Ce the, Eucharist. celebrate the Eucharist. And you can only do it at St. Peter's on that altar, nowhere else. And all the priests in the world would draw lots to see who would serve Mass on any given day. So here's Monsignor Duncanson. He's been drawing lots. 2021 will be his 50th anniversary as a priest. Now, yes. The, the Jubilee year. And imagine if he has never said Mass. He's done all the other things, but he's never celebrated the Eucharist. And he draws straws and he gets a date. He is going to say Mass and celebrate the Eucharist at St. Peter's in Rome on November 22nd next year. What will we do? Well, Bill would put a tour together to Rome, right? <laughs> and would all go and would have t-shirts with this picture on it and you know, make a big deal of it. And that's what they did with Zachariah. When the time came for burning incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. They all had Zachariah's picture on their t-shirt and they're all cheering him on as he goes in. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him inside. So he goes in and we'll see the model of the temple in Jerusalem. It was eight stories tall, golden doors that were a couple stories tall, gold covered doors with a vine around it, embossed on it, a grapevine. And no, he had never been in there. And inside it's limestone overlaid with cedar, overlaid with pure gold. And the only thing in there is the menorah on the left, giving light, the altar of showbread on the right, with the bread and the wine and the altar of incense right up in the front. And then the big curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. So he opens the door, he walks in, it closes, and he is in there. He's never been there before. The holiest spot on earth. He must be in awe. And he approaches the altar of incense with the incense. And right there at the altar of incense, he stood and he closed his eyes and he prayed a prayer 
for himself and his wife. And then he opened his eyes. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now this is not a Hallmark card angel. These are huge, fearsome, awesome creatures. There was nobody in there when he went in, and there's only one way in and one way out. And he opened his eyes, and there's this huge creature who said to him, as angels always say, fear not, right? Because he is shaking in his boots. Fear not. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And what did he pray for? Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will be a Nazarite from birth. Anyone can take a Nazarite vow, male or female. Numbers chapter 6. It's a period of time when you separate yourself to God. Kind of like going on a two-week retreat, a silent retreat, or a week-long silent retreat. And during that time, you don't drink any alcohol, uh, you don't cut your hair, you don't be looking at yourself in the mirror, you focus solely on God. And then when the vow is over, your retreat time is over, you cut the hair that grew during the vow, and that hair is then offered on the altar as a memento of the time you spent with God. You don't shave your head bald, right? You just cut the hair that grew during that time. But there are some people who are lifelong Nazarites. Not very many at all. Not very many. Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist. Oh, I'm sorry. And, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, John the Baptist. John, who will be born. John the Baptist. I got ahead of myself. So this is really, really important. So he's, he's to be a lifelong Nazarite. He will bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord and the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord who will pave the way. So Zechariah is stunned and he said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I, I'm, an, I'm an old man and have you seen Elizabeth lately? <laughs> uh, and the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. So now, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Not as a punishment. You didn't believe my words. You, you couldn't internalize them. But they will come true. So I'm going to plunge you into silence for nine months to ponder these events. And notice in the story how many people are plunged into silence during these events. Well, meanwhile, all of us were waiting outside for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed in there so long. They thought maybe he dropped dead or something. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They said, where have you been? He went, huh? <gasps> they, from the gestures, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs, but he remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, his two-week reserve duty was over, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So she spends time in silence as well. For five months, 
She's in seclusion. Now, the camera cuts from Jerusalem up here to Nazareth. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Angel in Greek means messenger. And every time we meet Gabriel for the first time in the book of Daniel, and every time we meet Gabriel, what he says has something to do with the Messiah. It's, it's like that's his job description. You know, God is saying, let's see, I have to uh, tell Mary, yo, Gabriel, come on over here. Go down and tell her this. Gabriel's the messenger for the Messiah. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel shows up here in Nazareth. And Mary was a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Mary is a young girl, 13, 14 maybe, 15 at the outside, and she's pledged to be married. She's betrothed. That's not an engagement. That's a binding legal contract typically made between two families to bring their children and their families together. It is a legal document. And to break a betrothal, you have to go through a legal process to do that. That's true today in Orthodox Judaism as well. You don't meet somebody, fall in love with them, and say, oh, let's get married. Typically, the families arrange the marriages, and it's a contractual arrangement. That's the betrothal. So she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, what might Mary think? There's apparently no one else around when this happens. And we saw Gabriel before and Zacharias shaking in his boots. And suddenly this male figure appears. What's she thinking? Something really bad is about to happen. That's the only thing she'd be thinking. Because in this culture, at that time, in this culture, in other parts of the more conservative Middle East, men don't approach women they don't know. If, if I want to meet Opie, I would go to her father or her brother to arrange to meet her in the presence of the family. And only that way. You would never approach a woman you didn't know. And so if you did, something bad was about to happen. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wonder what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, her danger radar is up. But the angel said to her, Fear not, fear not, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. Notice how he keeps talking and doesn't let her say anything. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary is stunned. She's betrothed to Joseph, and you're a virgin until not the wedding, but when you are moved into the groom's house. That's separate from the wedding. And it's a big, big party beforehand, big procession. They escort the bride to the groom's house, and that's the wedding night. If you're not a virgin, and they check afterward, right? If you're not a virgin, you are in huge trouble. So Mary said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? 
and I intend to remain so until I marry Joseph. So, in other words, not doubting, but like, what are the mechanics of this? <laughs> you know, how's this going to work? Right? And this is the only place in the Bible where an angel blushes. Well, <clears throat> uh, the Holy the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. Oh, by the way, you know Elizabeth? Is, and he goes, changes the subject. <laughs> Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Nothing's impossible with God. He can do it, trust me. And then Gabriel waits for an answer. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote a series of sermons on the Annunciation, and we read them in the Liturgy of the Hours, the Office of Readings, during Advent. And I believe it's December 22nd, I think we looked up. And uh, it's all about the, between verses 37 and 38, the pregnant pause, if you will. <laughs> and, and Bernard of Clairvaux said, that right at that moment, all the angels in heaven, standing on the battlements of heaven, drew in their breath and waited. And finally, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. And with that, all the angels on the battlements of heaven went, <laughs> because if Mary said no, cancel Christmas. <laughs> we don't need it. So... What was Mary thinking? Every little girl was taught this. If you turn back to Deuteronomy 22 at verse 23, if a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Every little girl knew that. Mary's betrothed to Joseph, if she says yes, there's a very real possibility that would happen to her when everybody finds out. Because you can't hide being pregnant in a village with 20 extended families. It could very well happen. So she had a whole lot to think about. And she's only 13 or 14 years old. She's going to become an unwed teenager at a time when such things resulted in the death of the girl. So that is a really big decision and we often say Mary we respect Mary's great faith and we should but I think even more than that is her great courage to say yes knowing of the possible consequences and trusting God in that sense we have Roman Catholics with us, we have Methodists with us, we have Lutherans, Episcopalians, all different denominations, and uh, you know, all, all most of my classes are, are Roman Catholic people in class because it meets primarily in Roman Catholic churches. But from Audible on the internet, we get lots of people from all over. And uh, you know, what's the one thing we can all agree upon about Mary? She had enormous courage and faith. She was the very first person to say yes to Christ. She said yes to Christ. And that's what we're being asked to do. God provides the grace that enables us to respond in faith. It takes faith and it takes courage to say yes 
and just step into the family of God and place your whole soul, body, soul, and mind in the hands of Christ. That takes courage and faith. And Mary was the first one to do it. She's the model of faith. But we got a problem. Somebody's got to tell Joseph, right? Uh, we read over in Matthew at chapter... One, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. They had to have a conversation. She had to go sit down with him and tell him, I'm pregnant, which would be huge in those days. How did he respond? I'm, I'm pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Right. <laughs> now, because Joseph was faithful to the law, but he loved her. He didn't want to see her publicly shamed and stoned to death. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That is, the legal proceedings would start the rabbi of the town would initiate them. You'd have to get the paperwork in Jerusalem and all the rest. He was going to quietly divorce her. So what's Mary do? Back in Luke, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea south where Elizabeth lived, where she entered Zachariah's home. Joseph said, I have to divorce you. You can no longer be here. And she couldn't be there as an unwed teenage mother, so she has to leave, get out of town. She packed a suitcase. It's a little blue suitcase. And she walked all by herself. No one's going with her. No one would be shamed in that way. And who's the only person she could go to? Elizabeth, a relative who's part of the plan. She walks all the way nearly to Jerusalem, all by herself, on the roads. Dangerous. You know? She knocked on the door. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now Elizabeth has come to that conclusion because she's been six months in seclusion herself pondering all this. Zachariah has been pondering all of it and the whole thing is becoming clear to them. But why are you here? And she must have said, with tears, Joseph put me out. He's divorcing me. Will you come in here? I'll make some tea, right? <laughs> Mary stayed there with Elizabeth for about three months. That is, until John the Baptist was born and then returned home. Now, during that three-month time, what did Mary and Elizabeth talk about? At some point, Elizabeth said, 
you have to go back. Oh, I, I couldn't possibly. I, I, I'd be so ashamed. I, I, I'd be stoned to death. And Joseph won't have me. I, I, I don't know what to do. But Elizabeth convinced her to go back. So Mary packed up her little suitcase again, walked all the way back here to Nazareth, and then knocked on Joseph's door. Now all that while, Joseph had been mourning. He loved her. And imagine how he felt. She's pregnant by who knows who. Holy Spirit, right. But one night, while she was on the road, I bet, coming back, Gabriel came to him and explained the whole thing. And he must, he woke up. It was in a dream. He woke up and he said, oh my God, I, I've lost her. I don't know where she is. Oh, what have I done? Oh, and he wept. And as he's weeping, Mary knocks on the door. Who could that be? And he opened the door and there she was standing there, little blue suitcase, pregnant. <laughs> oh, come in, come in. Close the door. I would love to have been a fly on the wall to hear the conversation. But sure enough, he takes her in and, uh, and we know the rest of the story. They have to go to Bethlehem because of the census and all the rest and Jesus is born. But all that happens right here, right here in Nazareth. Put a compass down on Mary's well, open the other leg up to 500 yards, swing it around. This is where it happened, right here where we are. Talk about walking in the footsteps of Jesus, you know? It's an amazing thing. Thank you. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Don't forget to go to LogosBibleStudy.com, click on Online Classroom, and check out our latest course, Dr. Creasy Teaches Deuteronomy. Use the coupon code SCRIPTUREUNCOVERED to save 20% at checkout. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.